Do you know the name Sam Hopkins? The name Lightning Hopkins might be a little more familiar to you. He was one of America's greatest black blues singers. And he was a native Texan. Uh, Betty Ann and I were privileged to hear him in concert at the University of Texas some 57 years ago. <laughs> She's telling me to be quiet. His music evoked the, the pathos, the pain, the irony, and the spiritual perseverance that the blues are all about. When he sang, you had the feeling that he had been there. He was born into the harsh life of an impoverished sharecropper's son in deep east Texas, not long after the beginning of the 20th century. He fled as a teenager to the equally harsh life of Houston's Fifth Ward. He spent time in the county jail. And when he sang, he learned to sing the blues as only one who has lived the blues can. He hit it big during the 60s and 70s, at least big for a black blues singer at that time. Close friends say he was really a very jovial person, full of laughs and amiable humor. Photographs of him show a man with a big, contagious smile. Once someone suggested to him that he might write happy songs as well as blues. But he replied, no, my style is stamped now. When people come to hear me, they want sadness and blues. And I can remember how to sing that. Then he said with a smile, but now I don't live as sad as I sing. Martin Luther once made a strange assertion, and he followed it up with an amazing admission. His friend Justice Jonas, one day in conversation, held up St. Paul as an example of faith. And Luther said, I don't think St. Paul believed as firmly as he talked. I can't believe as firmly either as I can talk and write. So, is the blues singer phony for singing sad and living happy? Is Luther a fraud for singing faith and living doubt? Those last few verses of Matthew's gospel hold a powerful message for us, where we live, in the space between belief and unbelief, between at the crossroads of worship and doubt, the friction point between singing and living. The tomb had been empty. Now, that much was clear. The rumor, the scandal, the hope, the fear that Jesus was alive was spreading in whispered tones. He appeared to the women and then to the men. And they worshipped him, something they hadn't done before. Before they had followed him, marveling at his teachings, watching his healings, taking note of his wisdom, occasionally suffering his rebukes. Trusting him as rabbi and master, even hoping that he might be the promised deliverer. But now, now they fell down and worshipped him. But, 
Matthew tells us. Some doubted. That shouldn't surprise us. My guess is that some of them doubted openly, staring slack-jawed even as they kneeled to worship. I'm sure that all doubted, at least some, and yet Jesus came to them as he comes to us, worshipers and doubters all alike. And he says, go, baptize, teach, obey what I have commanded you, and remember, I will be with you always. Notice what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, you worshipers, you go and do and baptize and teach, and and, and I will be with you. But you doubters, you doubters repent, go back and study and think and try to resolve all your questions and doubts, and only then may you be commissioned to do my work, and only then will I be with you. You see, Jesus knew that the opposite of faith is not doubt. Because doubt still implies engagement and struggle with the mystery of God. God works tirelessly and lovingly in that struggle. Now, the opposite of faith is apathy, cynicism, disengagement. No longer wondering or caring. Certainly Jesus had some negative things to say about doubt and disbelief because he knew how troubling and demoralizing doubts can be. And so he pushes us toward the ideal of total faith and total commitment, but he doesn't wait for us to realize that ideal before he comes to us and calls us into the service of his kingdom. To us, the worshipers and the doubters, he says, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always. And as we go and serve, he empowers us to follow in his way of love and justice and mercy. Almost 70 years ago now, the Supreme Court handed down a decision called Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. If you were living at that time and during the years right after, I don't have to tell you what a bombshell that ruling proved to be for many communities. I was in Cunningham Elementary School in Houston at the time, and I can remember wondering what the effect of that was going to be on my school. I also remember one of the segregationist rallying cries of that time. You can't legislate morality. Of course, the fact of the matter is you can legislate morality. You can regulate behavior. What you can't legislate is the way people feel in their minds and hearts. But whether we realized it at the time or not, our nation decided to try to change people's behavior before everyone's hearts and minds were changed. 
we made a decision, consciously or unconsciously, to proceed from hope rather than fear. From faith rather than from despair. And at the minimum, at the minimum, some of the negative effects of bigotry began to lessen. And who knows? Perhaps by the grace of God, someday the reality of bigotry in people's hearts will be changed. But if we wait, if we wait to try to follow Jesus until we are absolutely convinced or until we have resolved all the intellectual and spiritual issues that trouble us. In other words, if we give our doubts the upper hand and let them control us, then all we will succeed in doing is maximizing the negative consequences of our doubts. There will be less love and hope in the world. And make no mistake about it, there will be more hunger, more poverty, war, oppression, loneliness, and pain. But on the other hand, if we gather up our strange bundle of worship and doubt, belief and unbelief, hope and fear, and move out in service to God, then the consequences of faith will abound. We will discover that Christ is with us just as he promised and for as long as it takes. I think one of the hardest things in the world for modern people to say, honestly, is I don't know. I think it's especially hard for us who stand in the Reformed tradition of an educated professional clergy to hear our minister from the pulpit say, I don't know. But for you and me both, that admission can be the beginning of the road to faith. They worshiped and doubted. And so do we. And to all of us, Jesus states the truth about himself and about us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the close of the age.